And here we are, Cinema Squabble, episode 93, Adam Gerke, Sarah Michelle Fetters. We are some of Seattle's film critics, and uh, we have gathered in theaters for years, uh, usually a whole host of us sitting in a front row somewhere, watching film, and then discussing film, and we bring that that, that actual conversation to you in podcast form. That's what At we do here. At least we try to. Yeah, we, we try and bring that to you. Uh, this, Sarah, we are in the throes of shoehorn as much in as oh, yeah. possible in the next several weeks. No, it's the award season crush where like all of the films that the studios held on to that they consider like award worthy are mm-hmm. all coming out all at once. Yeah. And all of their, you know, big holiday blockbusters are all coming out all at once. And so it's just this and then you have to cram in the stuff that you missed earlier in the year to see, you know, if you're voting for any awards for anybody. Right. So it's it's a it's a I mean we're in work. I mean, they're not like big problems in the grand scope of yeah. things. We're not solving world peace or things like that. <laughs> no, but, but it, it is it is obnoxious and annoying and a little overwhelming. And just but just so that folks at home have a, a reference point of where we're working from, which mm-hmm. is everything for us Seattle film critic related. Yeah. It all pretty much there's a drop dead date. It's December sixth. I was going to say early December, December sixth. Yeah. So we've got to shoehorn in everything for October, November, December. And get that really done by December sixth before. Yeah, now it's just November. Kind of, we have a month. Yeah, so got a month. Get to it, Adam, because there's a lot you haven't seen. There's, I mean, there, there are a lot of this. You're you right, are behind, baby. Exactly. Let's and let's touch on that for a second because these are things we'll be able to bring up in future episodes. Oh, sure. So, Honey Boy is one. Oh yeah. You rattled off like a, a half a dozen of them earlier. Honey Boy. Um, oh well, like Pain and, Glory, Pain and Glory, the report, Marriage Story. But I've seen the report. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the Irishman. Yeah, um, we'll, and we're getting a chance to see that again, that was, but the same yeah. night as something else, and yeah. then you can also, I mean, yep, yeah. So it's you, a, it, and you can watch. I mean, there's stuff now that's like on Netflix. You can actually, like Dolomite is my name, which I know both of us missed at the press screening, but mm-hmm. now we're gonna have to catch up with by actually watching it on Netflix. Right, and, but I've heard great things about it. Oh, I so. know. Yeah. And then you have to go back to the beginning of the year. A movie's like, I know that you didn't get a chance to see her story with Elizabeth Moss, but I also that's know true. that's a movie that you will love, yeah. especially because it's about music and musicians and punk rock, and it's got a phenomenal performance from Elizabeth Moss. But where do you fit that in? You've got a month, and you've got it's like, oh my God, this is everybody tells me this is one of the best performances of the year, but when do you actually watch it? Right. And we actually, in just last night, you and I were uh, given the opportunity to have tickets to Motherless Brooklyn. Yeah, we, another one that so we like, missed. Oh, great. Oh, man. How am I going to? So you're right. First world problems. But, oh, the only reason we missed that is because it's it, we were at the screening screen, of the oh, movie we're about to talk about. So, yeah, let's do that. Uh, <laughs> Terminator and uh, Dark Fate. Dark Fate. Where does this lead on or leave off? Well, so the, the <laughs> if you're familiar with the Terminator franchise. Sure. James Cameron's brainchild sure. originally, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, duking it out for the ages. I yeah. mean, that's what we knew of the original Terminator and Terminator 2 in many <laughs> regards. Things started to change in Terminator 2. Sure. But from about 1995 forward, the Terminator franchise kind of took on a different bent and a different meaning to uh, a lot of fans uh, of Terminator. Well, well, Terminator 3 didn't even come out until um, 2003. Like, I was going to say, it was, or, mm, it was things before that. The the one with the uh, the woman who was the had the arm thing yeah. was that two thousand was that seriously two thousand three I believe so I thought it was closer to two thousand one or two it might have been but I mean, regardless yeah. the point is it was still a long time between right. films where we're going with this is this is a no, reason right two thousand three two thousand three okay <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking about where I was in my life when I rented the DVD for that Ooh. Uh, so okay the point is yeah there's a resetting of the clock and. 
Which is weird in itself in some ways. Yeah. We kind of break timelines. Yeah. And now we're brought back into present day of sorts. Yeah. Turns out that John Connor died. Don't give that away. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's not really wow, a spoiler. that is a spoiler. They, eh. they hid that from everybody. <laughs> and you're really just going to lay it out there? Yep. Are you okay with that? And here's why I'm okay with it. The film's been out a week at least. Okay. And yeah. the, the diehards have already seen it. And anybody else out wow. there? Wow. Yeah. So that, that they kept hidden. So okay. Well, look at that. Adam Gerke laying the spoilers. So, there's the one spoiler. Oh well. All right. What I will say this is that we have a resetting of the clock, and now yep. it's no longer Skynet. There nope. is now another uh, AI threat that Legion has, that has come into play and yep. is now still trying to destroy Earth. Uh, so now we've got to figure out. Now we've got a new character who's being protected by a, a cyborg, not a Terminator. Well, and she's an augmented human. Augmented human, sure. Play, played by Mackenzie Davis, who's so, kind of fantastic. Yeah, so we get this going on, but then we bring in the, the old guard. Mm-hmm. Chaos ensues, action sure. ensues, and, well, do we save the day? Hard to say. I'll leave it at that. So the big thing with Terminator Dark Fate is obviously the return of both James Cameron and Linda Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, James Cameron is now back producing and he co-wrote the original story mm-hmm. for this episode and Linda Hamilton was convinced to come back and reprise her role as Sarah Connor mm-hmm. um, that is those are the reasons people got excited about this film that sure. is that is that is the kicker um, I, and as great as it is to have them both back and don't be wrong Linda Hamilton, Especially because of the twist that happens at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I think she's ferocious. She's 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 really um, fun to watch in the film. Watching her deal with the various emotions that she's going through, I mean, she's great. It's nice to have her back. But as far as that aspect of the story is concerned, mm-hmm. it doesn't really do anything that's all that unusual or different or extraordinary. And unlike another movie that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Having her back does, to me, feel like a blatant nostalgia play to get people excited about a dead franchise based on past history where the beloved entries of a a series. Um, Here's Because where I do think the movie is interesting is with Danny Ramos, Mm -hmm. who is the new um, heroine that our killer killer Terminator, the Rev-9, played by Diego Luna, is is here to destroy. She is a a wonderful addition to the franchise because Mm -hmm. she sort of takes things in a different, um, inspiring direction that we haven't seen before. And I, I am genuinely curious if things were to progress what would happen with her in the future Mm. um but i mean the movie is fine what i will (laughs) say this is linda hamilton in this yeah here's the interesting thing we do see at one point in the film they've done some de-aging on her to make her look appropriate for 1995 yeah but through the rest of the film and this is interesting in she a, looks sixty. She looks. She is sixty. She looks. She looks her age. Yeah. But that's my point: is that in today's day and age of Hollywood, and people trying sure. to look preserved and look plastic or look to be, you know, still look like they're twenty when they're sixty, they have appropriately allowed Linda yes. Hamilton to reflect her actual age. Well, because she's lived her. I mean, the, the whole point of the character is that she has actually lived her life. Sure. Since 1991. Yeah. Since the events of what happens at the beginning of the film in 1994 or five or whatever it was, mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, she has lived that hard, 
um, life on the run where she's basically been hunting Terminators for yep. 30 years. Yeah. Um, and it shows and it, and it suits the character. And I like that they did with that with her. Um, I mean, it's essentially the same thing that they did with Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. They let her actually be her age. Yeah. I think it works a little better in Halloween than it does here. Sure. Um, but it it is refreshing. It is nice. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say you're wrong. I will say though that the the de aging at the beginning of the movie with um, Linda Hamilton and with another character that yeah. you've already spoiled yeah. is kind of extraordinary. It, it's, it's actually it's probably, some of the best I've I was ever say, seen. I was that's what I was gonna say. I think that's some of the best I, I've seen too. Here's a nutty thing about the film though, and did you pick up on this uh-huh. right away? This also shot at a higher frame rate. Yeah, and. Uh, but not as blatant. Not as blatant as yeah. what we saw with uh, Gemini Man, Gemini Man, or or uh, Billy Lynn's long halftime sure. walk. But we, it is what we're gonna. It is gonna be as blatant when we get to Avatar two in twenty twenty one because Cameron is this pulling is out Cameron. all this. He's gonna be pulling out all the stops as far uh, yeah. as that one's concerned. Again, going for that technical sure. ticket, riding on that. But the thing that's interesting for me is that it almost worked a little. And I. So I thought Gemini Man worked better than Billy Lynn mm-hmm. as far as the frame rate was concerned. I think sure. it actually, even though it's not as high a frame rate as Gemini Man, yeah. I did think it worked a tiny bit better here I did. than in yeah. Gemini Man. But that's also because Tim Miller, for the most part, frames the action in a way where you don't have that motion blur effect. Yeah. Um, and which is what Ang Lee was trying to do, but that wasn't necessarily as, as successful with in Gemini Man. I think for the most part, it is successful here where you do get some clarity in the action, yeah. but the blur doesn't happen. Right. And the one time that the blur does occur is the one overly CG'd action sequence in the movie when they leap from a plane in, a yeah. army, in an armored in an armored army vehicle which is really for me the one sequence in the whole movie as far as the action is concerned that does not work right i was going to say i think some of the cg still in these higher frame yeah. rates doesn't quite come off as believable because it just i mean our yeah. eyes are good enough to be able to discern the yeah. difference the the other thing i noticed about it uh was in the very very beginning some of the cg there's always in these terminator films there's always a sort of a flash forward to the future where the the Terminators are oh, taking yeah. over the Earth or whatever. Um, and, and those always look a little cheese whiz. This looked really cheese whiz. Just, yeah, really? It, I didn't have a problem with it. But it, I didn't have as much of a problem with it here as I have in some of the other It's only moments into the film, and then right, shortly thereafter, our eyes kind of get adjusted mm, to this. And, and next thing you know, it's like, hey, this seems normal. This looks normal. And for, for those of you who are listening and, and you don't understand what Sarah and I are talking about, when you shoot at a higher frame rate, things start to look a little bit like a soap opera. Yeah, it's because, the soap opera effect on your on your, on your 4K television. Right. So it just it looks too smooth, too clean, too yeah. crisp. Uh, now your television at home can can do this, and it can actually smooth out a lot of film. And we don't want it to do that. That's right. why they tell you to turn the motion smoothing off, off when you watch your, film. Right. But but these, it's it's there. Yeah. It, so I mean, let's be so the reason that you have this motion smoothing effect. Um, on televisions is for sports. Yep. Because you want to be able to watch that soccer ball moving yeah. at a very fast rate or a football or a baseball or yeah. whatever it is. So, uh, but when you see it in the theater, it just looks it off. It can be a little weird. It just looks a little, it's like, why am I watching a soap opera yeah, on, on a movie know. theater screen? Anyway, so. We're that totally off topic though at this but point. But it, it didn't take me out of the film completely. No, no, it did one. for the first five minutes. Um, but I got past it. But I mean, it. as far as this movie's concerned though, Adam, mm-hmm. I mean, we've we've not really spent a lot of time what did you actually think of this movie? I mean, just briefly. 
I think similar to what you're saying, um, this is, it's fine. <laughs> it's a solid action film. It's got the splashes of humor that we're accustomed yeah. to. And it puts the women up front, strong women up front, letting Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of do his no. thing and let him just kind of be the anchor there doing his thing. Uh, the, boxes, the three women are right, great. They are great. The, what I say here is the boxes are checked. Yeah. And if you're a fan, you'll enjoy it. You know, I, I, I feel very similar. I mean, obviously, I liked Salvation, Terminator Salvation, a little bit more than most, but I don't think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. We all agree Genesis is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um I'm a little sad, even though it's not that much, I don't care for it that much. I'm a little sad that they're writing off Terminator 3, only because Terminator 3 is one of the ballsiest sequels of all time. Uh. It is the most downbeat, big-budget Hollywood sequel you'll ever watch, because, okay, spoiler alert for people that haven't seen it, and you've all seen it, (laughs) we lose in that one. Yeah. The whole point of the movie is to get the characters to be safe because humanity loses, yeah. which is really daring and could have taken this franchise in some interesting directions had they chosen to try to run with that, mm-hmm. which they didn't. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, overall, this is the best one since Terminator 2, and mm-hmm. I will probably not think of it very much. Yeah anymore, unlike Terminator and Terminator 2, which are both classics. So falling into our sort of uh, voting categories, you yeah. put this into a rental or a theater? It's a rental. Yeah. I mean, it's that's, a total rental. You're going to enjoy You're going to enjoy it, but there's no reason to rush out and go see it. That's um, yeah, That's kind of where I was headed to. I, so. I am, like I said, I am really curious if, if it was to con- continue, which based on the box office, it probably won't. Yeah. Um, I would be interested to see where Natalie Ray's character is going to go next, except that now I won't probably get a chance to do that. Yeah. Moving on, moving forward. Moving on to a movie that has been successful, especially based on budget. Yeah. And I can't believe that we have not actually seen from Hollywood. Mm -hmm. I mean, in this case, it's from Focus Features, so it is technically an independent production. Sure. Relatively low budget, not not a lot in the way of bells and whistles. But I can't believe we have not had a Harriet Tubman biopic from a major Hollywood studio. It's it certainly it's, is surprising, especially considering the fact that I mean, this was a character that was talked about quite a bit as I recall from my grade school years, yeah. my middle school years, my high school years, it's, and that was a long time ago. No, I mean, you know, why, yeah, we, why haven't we seen this? I have no I mean, we I mean, don't get me wrong, in the United States of America, we tend to whitewash our American history. I think Boy, that is we? just a given. Yeah. And when you're in school, the majority of the American history that you're going to learn in social studies classes is not going to be about the African American experience, but the one person, yeah, the I mean, one. other than say Martin Luther King, yeah. <laughs> the one person you learn about over and over and over again in school is Harriet Tubman. I remember. And it's just yeah. shocking to me that this is the first time we get to see her in her own movie um, that is about her and only her. Yeah, it was, fifth, and, it was fifth grade for me or sixth grade yeah. for me. Seattle Children's Theater was putting on the Underground Railroad. Exactly. And, I mean, that's the kind of memory that I have. There's not much I remember from fifth or sixth grade, but I do remember seeing that play at Seattle Children's Theater. No, I mean, the upside here is that we get Harriet. Sure. Which stars Cynthia Irvo um, Mm -hmm. from uh, Widows and Bad Times at the El Royale as Harriet Tubman, who is just spectacular in this movie. And we get this movie that's directed by Cassie Lemons, the the, the great African-American filmmaker of Eve's Bayou. If this movie had been made 20, 30 years ago, it would have been a white dude that made it. Yeah. So the fact that we have one of the best female African-American directors out there working today taking on this story has meaning, has resonance, and I think it works in the film's favor. 
Um, it is a biography, pretty straightforward, about Harriet Tubman, her life, when she escapes from the first time from a Maryland plantation and gets to Philadelphia, and then how she starts going back and forth, for, at first freeing her family and friends of her family, and then becomes the most respected and the most feared conductor on the Underground Railroad before she actually ends up becoming an officer in the United States military during the Civil War. Yep. Um, that is all more that, or less depicted in the film. Yeah. It's relatively straightforward. There aren't a ton of surprises. Even if you know nothing of Harriet Tubman's history, you're probably going to get a good feel for what is happening in this movie when um, you know we have our we have our baddie in the form of um, the plantation the, son or the plantation. <laughs> Mother, I guess they're because they, they're they're both kind of baddies. In well, this they regard. are baddies. I mean, they're both definitely baddies. But I mean, Joe Alwyn, who plays Gideon Brodess, mm-hmm. um, is the central baddie. I think you could say. Yeah. You know, our our white slave owner who is an yeah. obsessed with recapturing her, and a lot of this is not what you have. You you feel like you've seen a lot of this before, even if you've never seen her story. I mean, yeah. even, even though we haven't seen this particular story before, yeah. the beats are relatively similar. But what is different, to me at least, is the feel of the film, mm-hmm. the, 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 the soul of the film, the, the perspective of the film. We get a viewpoint into slavery that I don't think we've actually seen from a filmmaker before. Mm. Because, it, I mean, even... It, it always I don't know, t- 12, 12 Years a Slave did, yes, but, did go into this, though. No, it didn't go into... But it didn't go into such a feminine perspective okay. of what slavery entailed. Sure. Um, and, I mean, yes, Lupita Nyong'o won the Oscar for that movie, but it wasn't about her character. Mm-hmm. It was still mostly, you know, from the, uh, from the male perspective. Yeah. This is... It, so it does allow for a unique insight into this era of American history that I don't think we've ever seen before. And it's all anchored by a performance that is just phenomenal. And they let her sing, which is... I uh, love that, Which, I mean, the fact you've got this... You've got this amazingly talented actress and an yes. amazingly talented voice. Um, here, here was the odd thing, though. you got Janelle Monáe in there. Janelle Monáe in there. Janelle and Leslie Odom Jr. I know. We've got, we have got a powerhouse of vocal talent on this cast, which in some ways... I and, Okay, so the film's not a musical. No. But I felt like... It was almost an uncapitalization of <laughs> okay. what their their talent had. Like yeah. it's it's kind of as if you put in a bunch of triple threats and said, "Okay, guys, you're just supposed to play like thumb wrestle." It's like what? I actually kind of like. In some ways, I like that um, William Still, Leslie Oldham Jr.'s character, who's the uh, you know he's the uh, guy that runs the Pennsylvania Anti-Slavery Society. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like that he's sidelined a little bit because it's not but his it, story, it, and it's not. And I love that. Yeah. Um, but and I, I mean, will also say Janelle Monet has two fantastic moments in the movie. Yeah. One is when we are introduced to her, and she realizes the 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 world of difference between herself, a mm-hmm. free, from the north. a born free African-American woman from the North mm-hmm. and Harriet, yep. who is not. Yeah. And then her last scene, which I'm not going to talk about. I mean, she, she kind of knocks it out of the park, I think, as a support, as from a supporting standpoint in the film. But this is, this is yeah. Cynthia Ervio's movie. Yeah. So, but I mean, where I was going is uncapitalized yeah. talent. Would you wanted to have like a, a song together? I, I I wanted to hear something or see something. I mean, there was just there was so much potential there. Yeah. Here's my other frustration with the film, which is, and if you're not familiar with Harriet Tubman's story, at a, at a certain point she was she suffered from a head injury. Yeah. Uh, as in in her youth, I believe, 
And after that, in some regards, was guided by voices or claimed to have, sure. you know, God spoke to her. In every circumstance where she's about to encounter trouble, as if Christopher Walken in The Dead Zone was there, <laughs> she would stop, pause, and wait, and get a message oh, from God. I don't and, know. and that's where, oh, nope, we got to turn left. We got to turn right. Every time, guided by voices, this, this actually kind of bothered me because it was like, really? We're going to rely on a guided by voices moment? Every time, yeah. Every but I mean, when you, when you go and look at the his, you know, when you go and look at the record and what people taught, when the people talk about Harriet Tubman, yeah. you know, when they talked about being saved by her and being yeah. directed on the Underground Railroad by her, and they called they, her and they called her Moses. Yeah, uh, um, I mean, there is there is a parallel there. No, I mean, and whether it's part of the mythology or mm-hmm. whether it's just part of how these stories were told by the slaves that she helped free, yeah. this was part of that tale, and I actually do like that this is in the movie because it also it also in a lot of ways this movie really is about faith and yeah. spirituality and about a connection with um you know about this connection that she that she feels like she has with god um but because I'm, she was a very religious I'm not figure. angry I'm not angry that it's in there yeah. I'm angry that it's in there every time yeah. that they didn't find some variety or find some other method at some point to overcome adversity other than to be well, spoken to by God they that's I think you needed to watch the movie a little bit more diligently because I think she does overcome in other ways no, I don't think so I'm going to disagree. Right. Agree to disagree yeah. on that one. Yeah. Uh, so where are you coming a, in on this? Ultimately? It's a theater. It's, okay. For me, it's a, it's a strong theater. Okay. I mean, it has some standard biopic issues, but for the most part, it's a pretty magnificent film, and mm. Cynthia Erbio is wonderful. Okay. Uh, well, and I actually put it in the rental category, purely out of the fact that it just, it, it felt, a, unfortunately, a little cheese whiz. I think when we walked out of the theater, you actually said some of the most prophetic things to me about this, though, which was... It's unfortunate this wasn't actually considered to be sort of a mini-series of, uh, for television at some point. Um, Would have been interesting. Where I think this could have actually had... There's a lot of history a little, here. A little more expanding, no. a little more uh, room to move and work with, and you could have built this story out a little bit longer and a little bit fresher. There's um, a lot of history yeah, that is covered. Yeah, because you're shoehorning a lot in here. Um, and so I would have liked to see this yeah. in, in movie series form. But you know what? It's better... You know, it's, you know I'm, I'm just going to bring this up briefly. Hmm. But you know what? I would much rather see a lot of history crammed into a movie in this way hmm. than I watched when I watched Midway earlier this week when you weren't there. <laughs> um, which also, which that actually opens this yeah. Friday. Well, tell and, us, tell and us and about that. I'm just going to tell too. you about it briefly. Yeah. The movie is called Midway. Right. It's supposed to be about the Battle of Midway. Yep. Which is the most pivotal battle in the Pacific this during is, World this War is II. World War II. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the most pivotal battle in the Pacific in World War II, and yeah. it's called Midway, and it's our second film. About Midway, we had you know the one from mm-hmm. the '60s with uh, Charlton Heston. How's this one sit? But the thing with this one, talking about trying to cover too much history, they should have actually called it "The War in the Pacific." Sure. Because director Noah Emmerich and and, and writer Wes Took, this isn't the Battle of Midway. No. This is Pearl Harbor. This is the Canary Islands. Uh, this is huh. this is thirty seconds over Tokyo with you know, the bombing of Tokyo by the you know. And then we get to Midway. I mean, there is oh, wow. so much going on in a two-hour and 20-minute movie that there's no way that you are ever able to actually care about anything that's going on. Hmm. It's highlights from the war in the Pacific during right. World War II. Moving up the Guadalcanal, Don't doing this, Don't get doing me that. wrong. Sure. The actual battle of Midway is freakishly historically accurate. Yeah. 
they do a good job there. Mm-hmm. And, and Emmerich has always been, you know, he's the guy that made Independence Day. He's always been a good spectacle director. Right. And he does a fine job for the most part depicting the actual war scenes. Personally, I think they look a little bit too much like PlayStation. Okay. Um, but, but I mean, overall, they're nice. Putting and, this up against Private Ryan, where does this sit? Oh, not even. I mean, no. It's it's certainly it's like a little bit better than Pearl Harbor, which was an abomination. Right. So I mean, okay. it's it can't even. It's I'm nowhere just, near know, Private I'm, I'm Ryan. Just, I'm just or, thinking in terms of like World War II films. Where you know, you no, know. I mean, so. like the Thin Red Line and Private Ryan. No, this is nowhere near anywhere remotely close to those. Okay, so is this um, a skip? It's well made enough. Mm-hmm. That if you're interested in seeing more about the actual Battle of Midway, it's worth renting. Okay. I never want to watch it again. Fair enough. Just drab and dry in that regard. Yeah. Huh. I mean, of the weekend's big four movie, big um, big four movies that are opening. Yeah. It's the only one that I can tell you that I have no wish to ever deal with ever again. And I watched huh. Playing with Fire, the John Cena Fireman movie. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but we have another movie that opens this weekend that is definitely better than Midway. Sure. Okay. Uh, and are you talking about Last Christmas or are you talking oh, about... I am talking, I mean, because it gave you, it, I, I gave you my heart, Adam. Uh, and last Christmas. I know. I think Very he, next day. Yeah. Threw it away. He you gave did. it away. Oh, it's just, so oh. here's, I'm just going to pull from IMDb because I haven't actually posted my review for this quite yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, here's how it reads out. Kate is a young woman subscribed... <laughs> bad decisions her last date with disaster question mark that having accepted uh to work as uh, santa's elf for a department store but she meets tom this mysterious character her life seems to take a new turn and for kate it seems to be too good to be true uh so wrote this synopsis on imdb needs help because uh, seriously absolutely makes no sense it just kind of undersells the whole thing so yeah no let's let's rework this let's just let's just workshop this right here and there you got kate yeah Kate happens to be yes played she's, by the Amelia Clark, Amelia who Clark. happens to have been in Terminator Genesis. So uh, look at that; it's like six degrees of it Terminator. It all comes around. Weird. Uh, <laughs> so Amelia Clark, Kate, she's an elf that works at a Christmas store. She works at a Christmas store. It's that's run al- by Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, that's there you al- go. that's almost irrelevant. And she has a Yugoslavian mother played by Emma Thompson. Also, moderately irrelevant to the real heart of the story. Kate has been making bad decisions for some time. For the last year, mysteriously. Well, at least the last year, if not longer. She seems like she's kind of been making one bad decision after another after another. Sounds like everybody got mad at her during the year post her getting sick. Okay. Well, the point is, she meets Tom. Yep. Tom, dashing, endearing, kind of mysterious. Played by... Light light on his feet. Yeah, it's Henry Golding. Gorgeously charming, Tom. Played by Henry Golding. comes in, ultimately ends up, in a way, kind of... um, Somewhere between It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Carol, and Fight Club. You might add the bishop's wife in there, too. Maybe the bishop's wife. Teaches Kate about life, maybe not to be so self-centered. Turns her life around. So that's that's kind of the nutshell I've found on this. <sighs> First thoughts. And this is, to quote Mike Ward. It's not a critic's movie in any stretch of the imagination, but it's, I kind of like fine. it. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. It checks the boxes for holiday feel-good warmth. And... This one written by uh, Emma Thompson, by yeah. the way. Uh, who, but based on the song right. by George Michael. So, Emma Thompson and Greg Wise. Yeah. And Emma Thompson wrote the script, too. And they and they literally were inspired by, by the last Christmas song yeah. from George Michael. And the whole movie is a George Michael celebration. Yeah. 
some so of it works, some of it doesn't. My my general sense on this, um, it's not offensive. It checks the boxes. It's fine. And <laughs> uh, as goofy as it is, if you're looking for the the perfect date or a matinee, I think this fits the bill. I can't really fault any of the actors. I can't really fault a whole lot here. It just kind of it just kind of works. It's just kind of there. So I had this movie pegged months ago. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where if you watch the trailer and you sing the lyrics of the song, you can kind of figure out what's going to happen. So don't do that (laughs) because because the twist is actually very important. But the twist of the film could have been a death knell to this movie easily because it's one of those things where it's so maudlin, so melodramatic, so saccharine, so treacly that in lesser hands than Emma Thompson's and Paul Feig, mm-hmm. and Paul Feig is the guy that did Bridesmaids and A Simple Sp- Favor and Spy, and, Spy mm-hmm. and you know the Ghostbusters. This is certainly yeah. not a movie of his that is going to be in the upper echelon of his films, but I think these people are good enough that they somehow make the twist almost work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only because they don't dwell on it. Sure. That it, this could have just drowned in teary-eyed oversensitivity and it doesn't do that i also think that the movie gives michelle yo and emma thompson a a lot to a lot that's fun for them to do they are obviously enjoying themselves immensely their characters are almost superfluous Mm -hmm. but they just seem to be having so much fun playing these characters that i loved it whenever they were around Amelia Clark is kind of great, I think, in this movie. Yeah, um, I actually think she does a good job here. She she's infectious. Um, I I I understood why she was in so much pain. Why she why she had become such a messed up kid? Hmm. Um, because that sort of traumatic change in one's life uh, that ha- that's not an easy thing to deal with. Hmm. Um, I love watching her and Henry Golding together. But I do think that some of that could have been handled a little bit better where it's not so obvious what's coming. Hmm. Um, I, didn't, I think the yeah. movie is perfectly charming. And I th- also think that it's the kind of movie that audiences are probably going to be drawn to. And it's going to have a lot more staying power over the years than we right now think it is going to have. Hmm. It feels to me like that kind of movie. Um, it feels to me like a it's, folding laundry movie. I mean, it's perfectly enjoyable for what it is. I yeah. don't think it's much more than that. Sure. Um, anybody that wants to get offended by stuff that happens in there, though, I don't quite get. There's not really room to get offended with it. For yeah. me, it's a rental. Sure. I think you it's know. a strong rental. I mean, yeah. it's it's not one that I would rush out to go see, but it's it's yeah. it's going to make you, I think for, the most, for most people, it's going to make them feel good, and they're going to yeah. have a good time with it. Yeah. So let's talk about something that's actually like, like something that we're passionate about. Well, I know what I'm passionate about this week. I definitely. tell you, I know what I'm passionate about. I'm <laughs> Don't passionate me wrong, about I'm actually passionate about a couple movies this week, but there's But there's one, one that in particular that oh, I didn't really see it coming. Let's just put it that way. I sure um, I had hope. I, I had hope only because so Mike Flanagan, which most of you might know or might not know, um he is the acclaimed writer director who just did Netflix The uh, Haunting of um the the uh, the Haunting of Hill House. Hmm. Um, which was spectacular, but he's also an uh, you know 
he's known for his indie horror films, um, Oculus. No stranger to horror. Hush. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's been making really good films. Gerald's Game, another uh, uh, Stephen King adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been doing really well. And he actually made one of the better sequels to a bad movie I've ever seen in the case of Ouija, Origin of Evil, which is really good, quite terrifying, if you consider that the first movie is almost unwatchable, which is kind of funny. But Nat still didn't, if you were going to ask me, hey, why doesn't somebody make a film out of Stephen King's 2013 sequel to The Shining, Gerald, uh, um, Dr. Sleep, Mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with Stanley Kubrick's landmark 1980 movie because it's a sequel to King's book Mm -hmm. and King doesn't like Stanley Kubrick's 1980 movie. Right. But hey, let's adapt that book. Let's get King's permission to actually tie it to Kubrick's film. And let's Kubrick's family. And then get Kubrick's family's permission to actually allow you to redo aspects of that film in your film so that you meld everything together. I'm not sure, even as somebody that I like as much as Mike Flanagan, I don't know if I would have thought he was going to pull that off. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is one of the best movies I have seen this year. Yeah. Hands down, no question, no reservations, <laughs> no ifs, thens, buts, ors, misgivings, anything. Yep. This movie is spectacular. So Flanagan has reworked King's work yes. to make this all fit. And he's reworked in some ways Kubrick's work so that it can fit into what into the themes that King was always intending to explore explore mm-hmm. in both his Shining book and, and in it. the Doctor Sleep and, the, and, oh, and, and in Doctor Sleep. Sleep and and it feels like there's elements of that that also fit into it. Well, I mean Stephen King, so there's going to be right. stuff that so always there, fits somewhere. But I mean that's this. It's I mean, almost King fall. King King covers some. His themes are not. He he covers some very similar themes throughout a lot of his books. But I guess where it's where but, I'm kind of going is like in the Conjuring universe, you have all not these in, things, no, this right? This is not a universe. I think movie. this is well. But what I'm saying I mean, is there could very easily be a Stephen King universe. Oh sure, well there's a, but it is a Stephen King universe, and that you know that's that's sure. why you go to Castle Rock. Yeah. Okay. So but, anyway, I mean that has that has nothing to do with it. In this case, though, I mean this movie picks up <clears throat> essentially 40 years after the events of um, The Shining. Yeah. Um, Has it been forty? Roughly, roughly forty. Not quite. Nineteen eighty to nineteen to twenty nineteen. Yeah, almost it, forty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I said roughly forty. <laughs> We're getting old. <laughs> You're killing me, Adam. You're killing me. But Danny Torrance is a recovering alcoholic and drug addict mm-hmm. who has, for reasons that he can't quite figure out, escaped to a small town in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and he's managed to get himself clean, and he's discovered a job where he can actually use his power that he has buried Mm -hmm. because the ghosts from the overlook still keep haunting him all of these years later but he's found a job working in a hospice Mm -hmm. where he can actually use these talents to help people and and sort of prepare them for what comes next but by reopening himself up again to these elderly individuals, he has also linked himself almost inadvertently with a teenage girl named Abra. And the two of them have psychic conversations because she is just coming into her power. She's just figuring out who she is. And she, like him at at a young age, has the shine 
and it's very powerful, mm-hmm. almost to the point that she can't always control it. Yeah. And so they have these little psychic conversations about what's going on in their day and how things are going at school and how her parents are reacting. Mundane stuff. But that catches the eye of another group of people. The true the knot. The true knot. Yeah. Led by Rose the Hat. And the true hat are soul the, leaders. The, the true knot. The true the knot. knot the, sorry. Yeah. The true knot are soul leaders. Yeah. And they specifically feed on the souls of children who have the shine. Mm -hmm. And when they catch on to Abra, the stage is set. They are psyched. They are ready to feast. Mm -hmm. And so Danny Torrance has to figure out the best way to protect his new friend. Yeah. And the best way to do that, and the only way to fully reawaken his own power that he has suppressed for so long, is to return to the one place in the world he never wanted to go to again, and that's the Overlook Hotel. Scene. There we go. This movie is massively complicated, which is weird to say, because The Shining, at least from the film standpoint is really easy to, to do a synopsis of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Family goes to a hotel, dad gets possessed by ghosts. Monster in the house. Everything, and, you know, and, yeah, I mean, and that's apart. pretty much it. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously there's more layers of that because it's Kubrick and there's a lot going on, but it's really easy to put all that together. Yep. This movie, there is so much going on. I mean, this is a movie about how we deal with the lasting effects of trauma and grief and pain and tragedy mm-hmm. and how that affects us going forward into our adulthood. And and then it turns into this thing where, you know, then you add in the levels of addiction mm-hmm. um, and how you have to deal with that. But also at the same time, you also have this teenage story of coming into one's own power, realizing your dreams, discovering that you can be more than what you ever thought you could be. Plus, and plus, then you add the horror aspect well, of this absolute terrifying yeah, group of say, individuals. Who are basically destroying children at their end of innocence yes. or just stealing their innocence. So, And not just, I mean, and yeah. that's a great way to put it because it's not just that they, you know, eat the souls of children. They have to actually inflict physical and psychological pain, mm-hmm. terror in these children to yeah. get the true essence of their soul. I mean, yeah. this is this is despicable stuff and yeah. hard stuff and complicated stuff and euphoric stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it's and somehow Flanagan m- manages all of this. Yep, Easter eggs and all, which yeah. are which are uh, cleverly peppered throughout the entire film for sure. those who are really big fans of the original sure. Shining plus. Fans of horror in general, fans of Stephen King. There's, there's a lot. Just and kind Stanley of, Kubrick. And Kubrick, all, all in here. Yeah, um, but you know, like we were saying earlier with Terminator Dark Fate, where that felt to me like, a, an, in some ways, a nostalgia play where you were trying to get people's butts in seats based mm-hmm. on just the nostalgia of returning yeah. to something that you're comfortable but with. That's, that's not what that's, Flanagan does here. That's not the selling point, but it's a fun additional well, feature. I mean, there's stuff going on here that is obviously linked mm-hmm. to what Kubrick did in The Shining. I mean, there's reenactments. Yeah. Of of you know certain scenes from The Shining, thoughtful um, casting and recasting done throughout here. Oh, lovely! Which, which, which without, without using de aging or, yeah. I mean, it's it's actual just actors playing these roles, and which is fantastic to see. Absolutely refreshing. I didn't feel a star was out of place. Nope, I, I thought agree. That was right on. Um, but everything feeds into what's happening from an emotional character driven standpoint. Yeah. Um, and I do think. I mean, I know we can't keep talking about this all night. But I do think we would be remiss, as great as Ewan McGregor is, as great as um, Kylie Curran is, as mm-hmm. Abra, holy 
crap. Rebecca Ferguson oh, plays great. one of the great villains, the great villains, period. Not horror villains, not genre villains, just one of the great villains I have seen in ages. But she also just turns in a fantastic performance. Yeah. This is as multi-layered and complex a performance as you will see all year. She has moments in this thing where she goes from euphoria to fear to carnal rage. I mean, in like just... Like yeah. just seconds. It's it's watching her transition. And One it might all... say, and the drop of a hat. Yes, I was, I was trying not to say it. It's okay. I was so trying, but Rebecca Ferguson is lights out, magnificent in yeah. this movie. I think she could get one of the nods for uh, best uh, best villain or best uh, baddie. She needs to be nominated for best supporting actress. I am sorry, she. You know, it's a it's it's a shame that genre films get forgotten forgotten because. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think with like the membership of the Seattle Film Critics Society, we are in tune enough that I think there are many of our members who might consider her. But from an Academy standpoint, from an Oscar standpoint, this is a deserving performance. This is one of the best performances you are going to see all year. And people are going to just put it off into the into like a little corner because it's in a genre film. Possibly or because of the fact that the subject material is often very difficult or too difficult for them to potentially. When she eats children. That's what I'm saying. This is going to be subject material (laughs) that is it's not accessible to a mass audience it's no. it's acceptable to an audience sure um and fans of the shining will love this one of the other things that i was really taken with when this is also the editing the careful attention to editing and the cinematography well but they're that those but are purposely is, designed to yes, emulate but not that's not, what i'm but not that's where i'm going yeah, with copy. this is is it's it's mimicking kubrickian style but also but not copying it right mimicking but bringing forward into modern yes. era Plus, also some even some throwbacks in there, just in the way that all the scenes kind of meld and move together. That there's an artistry to it that we just don't find very often. And I guess when it comes to editing per se, the less you notice the editing, almost the better it is. <laughs> That's really and and in this case, you don't even sometimes you don't even realize how you've just moved from place to A no. to B, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was ingenious. Also, what I found fantastic and ingenious in their own right because. A reworking of original score, including mm. uh, Hector Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique and Dies Irae, which appears all over The Shining. No, the, the Newton Brothers did a but spectacular job here. The Newton here. Brothers tie that yeah. together, bringing forward their own material, yeah. their own pieces. A score here that just also vanishes perfectly yep. into the woodwork so that you don't even know it's there and it's working on you. That is a good score. This is a good score. What I love is so. Totally worth so, it. So there's two movies this year that. Mm. Um, tie into other films Mm -hmm. one of them is the lion king which is just a blatant remake of the animated film sure and there's only one live action shot in the entire film and then the rest is all computer animated yeah well this movie flanagan actually redoes Mm -hmm. scenes from the shining right there's one scene from the shining that is actually still in this movie. Do you know what it is? I don't know. Which which one is it? I mean, I can guess. You'll have to... Or are you going to tell me after this? Or... It's the doors. That's all I'm going to say. It's the doors. Oh, Because oh, they didn't redo that. that. That's the one thing? That's the one thing is, yeah. the, is the signature bloody doors. Yeah. Um, that was the one thing that they decided they weren't going to do, that they were just going to leave. Yeah. Um, everything else. Everything else. Yeah. Flanagan... Match move. Matches He's done it. it and it's, it's... It's incredible stuff. It's great. Yeah. This, for, for me, is a total theater. In fact, I want to go see it again. It's two and a half hours long. doesn't feel like two and a half hours. No. And this is a very methodical yeah. 
I'm I'm not going to say leisurely paced, but purposefully paced film. I mean, this is not a movie that's rushing to get done and and, and you know to wrap things up. Yeah. But at the same time, that two and a half hours is over before you even know it. Yeah. Um, no, this this is in my top five of the year. I loved this movie. This yeah. movie knocked my socks socks off, and I can't wait to go to back to the theater to watch it again. And it could have knocked your socks off too. Yes, I mean, it could have. It, yeah, so you know. I mean, wow. I, I'm agreeing, hundred <laughs> percent. Doctor Sleep, theater, 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 yeah. all the way. Uh, so a quick recap, because we're here at the tail end. Uh, Doctor Sleep getting two strong theater recommendations from the Squabblers. Harriet splitting the vote, getting a theater and a rental recommendation. Last Christmas getting two rental recommendations. Uh, Terminator, Dark Fate getting two rental recommendations. And Midway miraculously getting a rental, but really Kinda. leaning more towards a skip on that it's one. A, it's a rental yeah. for the people that, you know, Other things you're working sort of on, thing. Sarah, at this point? Um, I'm starting to get ready to do my top 50 of the decade list, which is always a lot of work. Yeah. That's going to take some time. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I was supposed to interview Elizabeth Banks the other day for Charlie's Angels, Charlie's Angels, but that fell through. So hopefully that gets rescheduled next week and fingers crossed, keeping my fingers crossed that I get to still do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then other than that, just the normal stuff that we're always doing, cram, 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 yeah, cram. copy that. And uh, I was recently uh, judge as part of the Film 48 Horror Fest. Nice. So a number of teams around Seattle made 48 yeah. or films in 48 hours, uh, shorts, usually yep. six to seven minutes in length. Uh, and I believe you are also, uh, possibly able to see some of the, the winners from that at Film 48. I believe it's film48.com, but worth investigating further. Just want to check, uh, check that awesome. out. Put a, a Google search into that. Do it. And uh, uh, that was a heck of a thing. In fact, this. In fact, as we are speaking, I believe the awards are being handed out. Oh, goodness so gracious. So I won't uh, spoil that is just nope. who nope. that is, to say the least. But um, some of them were really quite impressive. Oh, that's awesome. So, Good for you. Uh at any rate, yeah, that is it for us. Episode number ninety-three. Oh, look at that! And it's over uh, so fast. we'll do it again here in a couple weeks, and we'll have even more to shoehorn in and talk about soon. Yeah. All right. For Sarah Michelle Fetters, <laughs> I'm Adam Gerke, and our producer Sprints Arbogast. Thanks much.